Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Chances are you'll have had some dealings with residential property landlords over the years. Dodgy boilers, noisy neighbours, rows over damage deposits and rent increases. This is a terrain you're likely to be familiar with. Well, my guest on this episode wants to rent out his flat and become a landlord himself. So technically I'm an accidental landlord. I'd quite like to become a professional landlord. So I'm trying to basically use my property to become an investment that I can maybe turn into a pension in the future, but also use to leave a capital to maybe become a landlord of other properties. But being a landlord isn't all about sitting back and collecting the rent. If you're thinking about renting out your own property, perhaps you need to move elsewhere to get work, or you're planning on living with your partner or even your parents to save money, then there's quite a lot to get to grips with. It's literally a case of just taking your time, thinking about what all your costs are, how much am I going to be making, what are the taxes, does this make sense for me? If it does affect you emotionally, and you don't get on with people and you find them a pain and you don't like admin and you don't like paperwork, all these things probably might suggest that perhaps you're not cut out to enjoy being a hands-on landlord. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. After landing a job in London, 49-year-old Jeremy used to spend over two hours a day on a train, commuting back and forth between the capital and his base in the Midlands. His annual travel costs were over £8,000. He eventually worked out it was more cost-effective to rent a room in a shared house in London during the week. So why are you in this situation where you've got a property in the Midlands, yet you're working and presumably renting a flat in London? I was initially renting through the week to save on travel costs because I'd have to be travelling at peak times. So I was renting a room in the week and travelling back at the weekends. So literally just a place to sleep. And because of COVID, I ended up in the first lockdown, basically locked down away from my home address. The pandemic got Jeremy thinking. Would it make financial sense to rent his Midlands flat out to somebody else? So he checked what he could charge. I got a letting agent who said that the market rent in the area is £600 a month to £700 a month. OK. They might have been fluffing that figure, but I think it's realistic. He could hope to make between seven to £8,000 a year from renting out his former home. However, Jeremy knows that he'll need to invest some money up front in home improvements before the property is ready to be let out. 
the electrics were done in the 80s, so it needs an upgrade. So I'd like to get it to a, a modern-ish standard. It needs also cosmetic work, but um, I could do probably 60% to 70% of the work myself, the cosmetic work. The, the electricity work I'd have to contract out. And have you thought, Jeremy, about how much it's going to cost you to get this flat rental ready? My own estimate was about 5000 and I got two letting agents in who agreed between five and 10000 Basically, they both said you could probably get £100 extra rent a month if you spent 10000 Even if he did a lot of the work himself, it would take Jeremy years to claw that upfront investment back. And that's assuming he doesn't have any voids, periods where he's without a tenant or the tenant stops paying the rent. Uh, Main worries are what happens if I get problem tenants. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I can insulate myself against that by being selective and using um, letting agents. I've been a tenant and I know that you can be a well-intentioned tenant and still damage things. So that's part of the worry. However, Jeremy thinks he's got what it takes to be a good landlord. I've had bad experiences in my time, and I've also had very good experiences with good landlords. I like the idea of being a landlord, but I also like the security of property at the same time. I'd like to be a little bit active and good to the tenants, because I know what a difference a good tenancy can make at difficult times in your life. It seems to fit my current uh, moral and uh, ethical view of the world. That's good to hear. But what about the numbers? Jeremy's mortgage on his one-bedroom flat only costs him £145 pounds per month, much less than the estimated £600 to £700 pounds he could charge if he rented it out to a tenant. Not a bad profit. Plus, the cost of renting his room in a shared house in London means he saves on the cost of commuting. So what are the financial factors that Jeremy would like some help with? So technically, I'm an accidental landlord. I'd quite like to become a professional landlord and I'd be really interested in any tips from any experts or existing landlords or anyone who's been through the process to help me on that journey and understanding the tax and liability implications of doing that. And in my particular situation, I'm sort of towards the end of my financial earning life and I'd be really interested in understanding both my position and also how younger investors could take advantage of this situation to give themselves a side income. Now, I understand that you're interested also to find out whether you could start a company in order to minimise your tax liabilities. That's right. I'd like to see how the model works, because if it's successful, I'd like to be able to try and buy a second property with it, perhaps, and try and expand that as a retirement income. With Jeremy's questions in mind, I quizzed two property experts on the areas that could trip up unwary landlords. I am a a big property investor myself and I have a sizeable portfolio. After building a successful city career at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, Aisha Rafori got into the property business. It's an asset class that I can see, I can touch. As well as owning a string of properties that she rents out, she founded PropL, an online platform for female property investors. The majority of us live somewhere, we either own or we rent. It's part of our everyday lives. My second expert, David Lawrenson, is a landlord and the author of Successful Property Letting. You've got to like people, you've got to be patient, but you've got to be firm with people too. He makes the point that this line of work won't suit everybody. Perhaps if you're a kind of nervous character who worries and frets a lot, and if you want the property to be just kept immaculate all the time, perhaps with somewhere you used to live and you've got some emotional attachment, all these things probably might suggest that perhaps you're not cut out to enjoy being a hands-on landlord. 
Together, they've come up with some great takeaways to get you thinking about whether renting out a property could be right for you. There are two ways property investments can make you money, but you could also lose a lot if things don't go to plan. Now, as a buy-to-let landlord, you've got two ways, essentially, of making money. The first being house price appreciation and the second being rental income. Considering the pressures of the pandemic, what direction, Aisha, do you think those two things will be moving in? I think house prices will likely fall in the short term, but I don't expect the fall in house prices to be pronounced. So I wouldn't call it a crash. And I would expect prices to rebound at some point. And in terms of rent, I think rents will remain flat because a lot of landlords have already discounted and they can't go much further. Millions of people in the UK are still relying on the government to pay their wages. But when this comes to an end in April, landlords fear their tenants could lose their jobs and get behind on the rent. A lot of people are going to struggle, but equally landlords can only lower rents to a certain point because after that it doesn't make economical sense for them. So I think for people who can't afford to rent, they'll likely move from maybe renting an individual property to themselves to moving into a shared accommodation and renting a room or potentially move back in with parents. David makes a point of meeting every single tenant he lets to to check they won't get behind with the rent. He verifies their ID, runs credit checks and asks for three months' worth of bank statements. A lot of legwork, but he's only had one person default on the rent in 21 years. The reality is that we are in difficult times and that's where you're checking really. I mean, if you've got somebody who's just about a few weeks away from being um, overdrawn at the bank or they're already overdrawn, is that a risk in these current times you really want to take where they're already struggling to pay even the first month's rent and a deposit? Any money you make from renting out your property will be taxed. Every landlord has to do a tax return. So it doesn't matter whether you're an accidental landlord or you have a portfolio of 25 properties, you will be required to do a tax return. But as a landlord, you can reduce your tax bill by claiming expenses. For example, if you're putting furniture in, if you're renovating the bathroom or the kitchen, all of these are costs that can be expensed. Key ones are the financing costs, that's the interest costs on any loans, any repairs and maintenance, any replacement of furnishings and fittings, heating and lighting costs where you're paying it as a landlord, insurance, letting agency fees, um, any professional legal fees in connection with setting up those tenancies, ground rents, and all those are valid deductible expenses. Take those costs away from the rent and that will give you your profit or your income from the property. And it's on that that you have to pay tax. It's obvious that careful record keeping is the name of the game here. Jeremy hopes his property can become his pension, generating money for him to live off in retirement. But Aisha has this warning. You can't hold residential property in your pension. But I do understand why people see property as an asset class, because you're building up capital appreciation over time as property prices rise. So that means that you're building up wealth in this asset that you can then use later. But remember, when you come to sell a property that's not your main home, you'll be taxed on any profit you make. This is called capital gains tax and will swallow up between 18 to 28% of anything you make above a certain level. Aside from tax, one of your biggest costs will be employing the services of a letting agent. But as our experts say, you don't have to use one. Now, David, in all of your 
20 plus year experience of being a landlord, you have saved a lot of money by not using letting agents on, on most of your properties. But of course, there is a cost involved with your time. Is it just too much hassle to manage properties on your own? The answer to that depends. How much fun you want to do this, how much you might enjoy doing it. And second, how much time you've got, and possibly also how much you earn, really, because if you're earning a great deal, then why spend time doing this if you can pay someone else who's cheaper? Well, quite. But what are you paying the letting agent to do for you, exactly? There's the job of having to advertise the property, speak to the tenants initially when they call on the phone, go and do the viewings and then get the setup. Each time we let a property, it's probably about equivalent to about four man days full time doing that. I should point out that could equally be four woman days, but that's not all. Even if you have an agent, you need to make sure that they're doing the job properly. So I still think you need to spend some time, maybe half a day on each letting to make sure and check that they've actually got the right tenants because getting a bad agent can cost you a lot of money in the long run because you end up with a bad tenant or the property's not being properly looked after, that will cost you. As well as using an agent to find you a tenant, you can also pay them to manage your property, meaning they will deal with all the admin and take any late night calls about busted boilers. For this, they'll charge you around 10% of the rent. Considering the cost, Aisha would rather do this herself. I have never used a letting agent. So all of my properties have been self-managed. I think where you have to be particularly careful is about who you get in. If you get in the right tenant, it can make your life so much easier. And in that case, then managing yourself isn't too difficult. If you have a situation where you're not getting the right tenants and they're either damaging the property or not staying for long periods, then it may make sense to use a letting agent because then it's just less hassle on yourself. But letting agents aren't cheap. And so particularly if you have properties where your rental yields may not be high anyway, is there enough room in there to afford a a letting agent? Sometimes not. Our next topic, red tape. Become a landlord and you'll find there's an awful lot you must do before you even start searching for a tenant. So if you are getting a property that you want to rent out, you'll need to get a buy-to-let mortgage. If you want to rent out a property that you've previously been living in, then you'll need to get consent to let from your mortgage provider. Anyone who's rented from a nightmare landlord will understand why the government has brought in all kinds of regulations to stamp out bad practice. Making sure you comply will cost you time and money, but get it wrong and you could be fined. Okay, there's more regulations nowadays that you have to meet. Tenants' deposits have to be protected in the tenancy deposit scheme. The cost of that is about uh, £20. You've got to have a gas safe certificate. The cost of that, £80 to £100. That's per every year. You have to have an energy performance certificate. Last for 10 years, £100, £130 tops. Anything else, David? Then it's electrical certification. It has to be done within the last five years. So these are the sort of things you've got to consider. Well, I'm glad that's it. You need to give the tenants a, a document called How to Rent. That's free. Oh, hang on a minute. You've got to make sure the smoke alarms are all safe and working at the start of the tenancy. So there's one, two, three, four, five, seven things there that you have to do before a tenancy starts. <laughs> well, now we've dealt with all of that, there's Jeremy's question about putting your property inside a company structure to save tax. Lots of landlords do this, but should you? Yes, there are tax advantages, but there are also costs as well. So setting up a company isn't particularly difficult. You can do that in a few minutes. 
but then you're going to have to submit various different documents and accounts, which means you're going to have to hire an accountant. You don't have to, but most people do. So then you're going to be spending, for example, £1,000 a year on an accountant. So for those people who are high-rate taxpayers and who are looking to have multiple properties, I'd say it probably makes sense to hold it in a company, but it's not clear-cut. For somebody who's got just one property, I think it makes more sense to just keep it in your personal name. One question remains. How can wannabe landlords like Jeremy work out if all of this hassle is likely to be worth it? So I'd say make Excel your best friend. We're not talking about building a complicated spreadsheet here. It's literally a case of just taking your time, thinking about what all your costs are, how much am I going to be making, what are the taxes, does this make sense for me? Over the years, David has devised a handy rule of thumb that he uses on his portfolio to help predict ongoing costs. So if I've got a property typically which rents at, say, about £1,100 per month, okay, we Mm. basically work on the fact that each month we will probably have about £190 to £200 of total cost associated with looking after the property, finding the tenants and so on. So about 16%. Mm. Also, if you're using an agent, it would be a bit probably somewhat higher than that, maybe 20% of all your rental income. If Jeremy rents his flat for £600 a month, that would knock off around £120. And don't forget, he'll still have taxes to pay. But Aisha's parting shot is that despite all these costs, many people find investing in property easier to understand than the stock market. You need to understand and know what you're investing in before you put your money into it. I'd actually say it's easier to understand how property investing works. You know, once you get your head around the sort of regulations, documentation and the taxes, you will have a fairly good understanding to be able to make investment decisions in properties. Having heard what the experts have to say, it's back to Jeremy. Does he still like the idea of being a landlord? What sticks in my mind is the need to be very serious, which fits in with my ideas anyway. I thought it was really interesting to the volume of work you have to do before the let. But actually, I found that really reassuring because it's as much a protection for you as it is for the tenants. And as I said, my values are about trying to be a good landlord. Now, do you think that you're the right kind of character to be a hands-on landlord? Heard from David there saying it's not the kind of thing that suits everybody. Would it suit you? Yeah, well, I was very relieved by that. I mean, I do like the idea of dealing with my tenants direct, and I was pleased to hear that he's done it, and it seems to have worked out quite well. I like the fact that he'd done credit checks, and it seems to me that his tenants didn't seem to be too uncomfortable about quite an intrusive check. And um, yes, you have to be fair, but you also have to be firm and quite direct about the options open to people. So I'm comfortable with that as well. And it's good to hear that with that in mind, it can be a successful experience. Now, a lot of red tape that you have to deal with as a landlord, is that something that puts you off? No, again, I I find that quite reassuring because it means that I have to be sensible about it. And it means I have to write my documents and be attentive to things that are in the interest of the tenant, which at the end of the day are are the same as my interests. Because if you've got the right documents, it means you're not in a judge duty situation. Now, one thing that you didn't know about before we started our podcast journey together was the impact that tax might have on any money that you could make. Yeah, it seems complicated. I was pleased with Aisha's 
explanation of being cautious if you're moving into high rate tax bands and also if you're only operating one property then obviously the margins and the benefits get tighter Mm. on the other hand though i didn't realize how much could be put forward as expenses so knowing what you know now about tax the other costs which the landlords have said they budget for do you think that this investment in renting out your own property is going to stack up for you I think it's tighter than I thought it would be. I've been taking frantic notes throughout your expert's advice, and I'm thinking of getting a spreadsheet organised and doing a virtual version first to see if I can make the numbers work out with my what I think might be the fallow periods. But if that comes close enough to bridge the tax gaps, then I, I would like to take it forward, even if it's broadly neutral for now, because then I've tried it. That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week. And we hope you like what you've heard. If you do, spread the word and leave us a review. If you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show and get some expert thoughts on a money issue that's bugging you, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. You can also take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh Delamere and Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Amy Keane. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just so you know, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.